Hope. It's what military families need today. Join Hope for the Warriors once a month as we talk with America's heroes and those that support them. Through open conversations and honest dialogue, learn more about the topics that are most impacting the military community. Welcome to the Hope for the Warriors podcast. I'm Kate Dudley, a military spouse and your host. Welcome to the Hope for the Warriors podcast. Thank you for tuning in for the most important episode of this first season. September is Suicide Prevention Month, and I want to share some numbers with you all. In 2020, there were 6,146 veteran suicides, which averages to 16.8 per day who took their own lives. These are men, women, mothers, fathers, sons and daughters. I also want to share another number. It's 988. This is the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. If you're someone you know is struggling right now, that number will put you in contact with a trained professional who can provide support and recommendations. Unfortunately, there is a stigma around suicide and mental illness. And the only way to reduce that is by talking about it, knowing the facts, educating others. So with that, I'd like to welcome in two members of our military community, Nick Guernsey, an Army veteran and a Purple Heart recipient, and Bobby Gray, a former Marine. Nick and Bobby, thank you for being on today. I'm looking forward to just having this open and honest dialogue between you both, but just for our listeners, and whoever wants to start can go. Just tell me about your service. For myself, you know, service, as I, I was actually headed to the Marine Corps, um, my recruiter was five minutes late. So I walked across the uh, aisle way and went to the Army instead. You know, I was always pretty a, a straightforward guy when it came to what I wanted to do with it. Um, my motivations were a little skewed. You know, I, young kid trying to go racing. Didn't have any money, so I figured the military was the best way to do it. I and mean, I still stand by this statement today, probably the dumbest, best decision I ever made in my life. You know, looking back at it now, I wouldn't change anything. You know, I had a, a really great military career, met some great people, and continue to meet great soldiers to this day. I wouldn't change a, a bit of it, even as we're going to get farther in this discussion, even with what you're about to find out, I still wouldn't change any of it. It has shaped me. I'm 45 years old now, and it's shaped me into the person I am today and the advocate I am for uh, our service members. Bobby, what about you? So I, I joined the Marines in 2003, December. I graduated high school in 02. So when I was a senior, 9-11 happened my senior year. And so that altered my path, kind of like what Nick had said. I had the racing dream as well, and I was enrolled to go to NASCAR Technical Institute in Mooresville, North Carolina. And then the way the money was kind of shaping out and affording to go to school and 9-11 happening, I, I knew then I wanted to serve. I was just wanting to serve and join the military in general, so I wasn't sure of a branch. But my grandfather was a World War II Marine, and he's like, well, if you want to fight, you're going in the Marines. I was like, all right, pop up. That's that's what I'm going to do. So I shipped off after 
a year I shipped off to boot camp in December of 03 and then was in Iraq by September of 04. So, and I went open contract because I was terrified of signing up for infantry. So I ended up going as a artilleryman and still did infantry stuff in Iraq anyways. So that's, that's how my uh, military career started. And I, as, as like Nick had said, like it's, Still, everything that I've been through, it's still one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life, good and bad, but overall, near and dear to my heart. People that I've met, relationships that I have that, you know, going on 20 years now of knowing some of these these guys is just, it's, it's, it was the, it was the greatest thing I ever did. I was 19 and pretty much going nowhere fast in Reading, Pennsylvania. So here we are today. <laughs> And it also allows you to create such meaningful relationships. I mean, this is the first time that you're seeing Nick face-to-face, even though it's over Zoom, still face-to-face, right? How do you guys know each other? Those of you that know me and don't know me, I am a huge smartass. I mean, I like to have fun, and I really don't care if people don't like me, but I'm there to have fun. Um, And, you know, through one of the racing sites on, I think it was Facebook, you know, somebody put out, you know, the Marine Corps birthday or something that, that day. And I just started poking fun at him. And then, you know, we kind of reached out. And then as I, I learned more about Bobby and his story, you know, our stories are really similar right down to, I mean, other than, you know, he's in North Carolina and I'm in Iowa. You know, our, our path was similar to the military. Our stories after the military was really similar. You don't find that a lot. And, you know, that's kind of the I mean, I'll give social media credit for that. That's the beauty thing about social media. There's a lot of a lot of wrongs with it, but there is some good that comes of it. And you know, we've always I think we've stayed in touch. It's probably been close to seven, eight years that you know this happened. You know, and you know, something happens, maybe you poke a little fun and you have a little fun. I know there's people that know him or know me that are going, man, what in the hell is going on? Yeah. Like, and then you know, we just have kind of joke about it, and then we move on. And then oh, you know, three, four weeks go by, and you see something again, and you do it again. So. You know, I had originally reached out to Bobby. I caught a link to his story, and that's when, you know, I realized that we are the same. Um, you know, I poked fun at him for being in the Marines. You know, he poked fun at me. It's just how it, it it's kind of that unwritten rule. Like, I can poke fun at you, you can poke fun at me, but somebody else doesn't get to make fun of us. You know, and that's kind of where it's been. Uh, you know, I'm going to get out to Bowman Gray just so I, one, I can say I've been there, but two, you know, when you know somebody working on a car, you might have an end that, you know, you can kind of hang out back scenes a little bit. And I wouldn't say I'm a car guy, you know, but I'm a, I'm a racing guy. I, I mean, I respect, you know, what it takes to go racing on any form. And, you know, Bobby is right there in the heart of some pretty unique company, I think, at, at the stadium. And I think he gets to, to live a life that not a lot of us uh, realize is out there. Um, and I'm a little jealous of it. I mean, I just you know, myself just getting back from Knoxville is. Last week, you know, sprint cars are great, but I, I think what Bobby's doing is great. But that's how we met. It's kind of the, ironically, it was kind of through racing. Here we are today. We're finally face-to-face and talking and hearing a little bit. Kate's going to actually put us face-to-face at, at a race, and it's going to be great. That's exactly how it went down. We were just through comments on, uh, it was on Jason Myers' uh, Facebook page. I'm like, yeah, if anybody would have saw it, I'd be like, man, these guys like hate each other. But it was just us like probably laughing at ourselves with each other. And then it just, it went off from there. And then like, like Nick had said, we connected through direct messaging and was like, and we are literally, we are the same people just, you know, a thousand miles apart. 
And yep. now here you are having this conversation with me yes, <laughs> and putting absolutely. the pressure on to meet in person at some point. Yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about all that, but I'll see. Yeah, what we, you probably think we've known each other our whole lives. I'm sure the way we, we will act with each other. I guarantee that already. That's awesome. And I love that. And that's why I wanted to bring you guys together. This is for the podcast. This is the first conversation that I've had with multiple people. So I'm already enjoying how this is flowing and I appreciate it. I just think it's cool to see how people interact and and just the, you know, the relationships that are formed over the years. It's just very cool. And it's cool to see you two interact, especially when I spoke to you, Bobby, the first time I didn't realize that you and Nick had just met over social media. And, and it was just more of that banter and that Nick said it a little differently. That smart Alec. (laughs) (laughs) It's a, it's a natural, like he said, it's like an unspoken rule and it's a natural, it's a natural bond branch or not it, but that's, that's what comes with it. Like you just, you try to degrade the other person and it's all out of good fun, but no, a lot of people don't, they don't understand that, but that's how it is. Leading up to this conversation, we've, all spoken about past experiences and you both have dealt with trauma during your deployments. I know this is getting a little heavier, but can you speak on that? Post 9-11, it changed the world. 9-11 was what shaped us today. And I think a lot of us went off to fight, not necessarily knowing what we were about to do. Um, Some of us, you know, had it in our heads, but that part's there. Um, you know, a lot of time I spent in country, you know, I I spent my 24th, 25th and 26th birthday in country. You know, that's a long time. It's just how the deployment thing fell and everything, you know, you're having a time. I mean, it's traumatic, but you're, you're really having the time of your life because you're with some of the closest people that you're ever going to be with, you know, and then one day you come home and that all goes away. You know, we'll get, we'll get kind of deep and kind of dark. You know, I struggled with it real bad when I came home. I got a phone call from a, a young soldier of mine, I actually ended up becoming an NCO of his through the deployment, but we were really good friends. Uh, we shared a, I call it a cubicle, but I mean, you know, we shared shared a, a bunk there in uh, Iraq. Calls me up on a Thursday night. Hey man, we're gonna get together this weekend. Six hours later, I'm getting a phone call from his dad. You know, he committed suicide. Um, and that kind of put me in a, a tailspin. I had a couple of soldiers uh, do the same. Not really sure of an outlet. I really still want to admit there's a problem. I absolutely hate the word PTSD. I hate the the whole process of it. Because as soon as that, those words come out, somebody automatically thinks, oh, shit, you're broke. And we, we can't, you know, it, it's it doesn't have to define you. It took me a long time to realize this, but. I was kind of, kind of down. I wasn't kind. I was down a path. You know, I did it. Um, I'm not ashamed of my actions by any means. It was the what I, my attempted suicide. You know, and I, I put a shotgun in my mouth, pulled the trigger, and it didn't, it didn't fire. No rhyme, no reason why it didn't fire. It just didn't. That kind of took me in a, a little different direction. I was kind of relieved, kind of pissed off. It didn't fire. That was kind of that shock for me of, okay, this is for a reason. What's the reason? And how can you do good by this? About six months later, I ran across another uh, veteran kind of struggling the same thing. And I was able to kind of talk through some things with him. And then it was like a light bulb. Okay, this might be my, my path to make everything work. 
I then started using, you know, racing as an outlet. You know, I bounced around the, the VA system a little bit with medication and not really feeling myself. You know, I was, I was there, I was functioning, but I just wasn't, wasn't me. You know, I mean, again, those of you that know me, like, you know, what kind of, kind of fun I like to have. And I just wasn't there. I was like kind of walking zombie. And then racing was my outlet. Fast forward, I believe it was 2012. I get a phone call from uh, Bob Myers, who was the CEO of Casey's General Stores at the time. And Bob, again, doesn't know this because I've never told Bob this. I'm sure at some point he'll find out. But he probably helped save me a second time when he introduced me to Hope. I went up to, is actually, they were getting ready to do the NASCAR race in uh, Newton. Uh, I drove up, met Robin. We hit it off. We had a great time. And, you know, it was kind of that shot in the arm of, okay, this this was your purpose. This is where we're at. And now you're going to go out and, and do right by, you know, the wrongs. I always kind of joke that, you know, there's a lot of wrongs in the world that we, you know, that I did or I've done over the years that I got to, I got to find a way into the pearly gates. So if I can help one guy, one gal, you know, get through it or a family member that is just experienced this loss and it, you know, it's not, it's not something I really advertise. There's a lot of people that aren't in my inner circle that don't even know I served in the military. And it's not that I'm ashamed of it. It's just that I don't want to be known as this, you know, this guy, I see a lot of our, our veterans, you know, go around and, and kind of mooch the system a little bit. And I don't like that. I'm actually, I, I've been getting more vocal about it, you know, but at the end of the day, I attempted to take my own life. It didn't happen because here we are, we're talking, you know, but if somebody is at that stage where they think this is the only out and, you know, I don't care who you are, I don't care where you are, you know, you can call me, you know, I can give my cell phone number right now. It's 319-671-1439. You know, call me up, you know, we'll talk it out. I'd rather have you call me than go down a path that there is absolutely a one in a billion chance that it doesn't end the way you want it to. Um, you know, it is kind of crazy. Bobby's going to tell his story here in a little bit, but you've got two individuals that are talking to you right now that there's no, no rhyme, no reason why we're both still sitting here talking. Um, it should have went the other way and it didn't, um, you know, obviously I've now got a family. I'm very thankful for the life I have and the service I did. Um, but at the end of the day, if I can help one veteran out, you know, that's, that's one, you know, I should have been part of that number you spit out that, that statistic. I should be there yet. I'm not. And, you know, I'm grateful for it every day. For me, I deployed once to Iraq and that was in. September of 04 until March of 05. And um, the week of my deployment, I learned what IEDs were. I had no idea IEDs were even a thing that like getting blown up by a suicide bomber or a roadside bomb was even a thing. So that is ultimately what um, took two of my friends' lives in Iraq from a, a suicide bomber and just. Dealing with that, I kind of, I kind of just, I thought we were going to be okay. I was part of it. Like, you, like Nick said, you don't, you, you serve, but you don't, you have an idea of where it's not like, it's just, it's not what you imagine. Like, it's just, you prepare, you prepare as well as you can. But 
dealing with my two friends getting killed, um, I felt coming home that I'd be all right. So when I got out in 07, it wasn't that I was like tired, like I didn't want to experience that. I just, I, I, I was married and my life was going a different path. And I felt, okay, I did what I wanted, what I initially signed up for. I survived. Now it's time to live a normal life, just get a normal job and, and just go about my everyday life at 23. So when I got out in 07, I went, so I didn't think I had issues per se until 2013, but in between all of that, I had incidents uh, where I came home. I was driving to Pennsylvania in 2005, and we were at a gas station in Washington, D.C., and I was pumping gas, and it was a smell of diesel fuel at the gas station. So that smell was identical to the days after the uh, truck bomb in Iraq. The diesel smell just triggered me blackout, screaming in the parking lot. Like if I didn't get out of that moment, I was going to die. And so I got in the car and I told my then fiance at the time, I was like, you know, I told her what happened, but also said, whatever happens, let's not ever talk about that again. For one, I was still active duty. And then you're, you're, you're afraid to get kicked out of the military or whatever might happen to you career wise. So you, just you think you're better and better than what what you had experienced. And then I had some well, I had two other incidents after that, after I got out of the after I got out of the Marines. But by May of 2013, I had been dealing with survivors guilt. Um, I was dealing from getting blown up. Now I didn't receive medical attention, but I got my bell rung pretty good. So I was having a lot of migraine issues and constant ringing in my ear from what then they discovered was a traumatic brain injury from getting blown up. But again, when my friends are getting, you know, killed, my I'm fine. Like get up, you just go, you just go about it. So I kind of just put everything on the back burner. Um, but May of 2013, I had attempted suicide. I just, it was Memorial day of 2013. I had to work that day, got into a, a massive fight with my wife. I have been posted on Facebook earlier that afternoon about missing my friends and living up to expectation and, you know, survivor's guilt. I knew I definitely dealt with that and, and struggled with that so bad. Cause I just kind of felt like I was just going through the motions of everyday life. So there was a lot of things with it. Wasn't going to the VA for no help or anything like that. Things that I felt that I could handle on my own, because again, the stigma of PTSD and everything else, it's it's an ego thing, really. And ego, your ego will kill you. That's how that's how I feel anyways. So I didn't want to be labeled as anything. I just wanted to be as normal as I was, so or could be. So in May of 2013, on Memorial Day, I had blacked out to this day. I don't remember it. I don't know what triggered it, but I went into the backyard with an extension cord wrapped it around my, my neck and, and jumped from a tree. And before I'd done that, I text texted my then wife at the time. Um, Hey, I love you. I'm sorry. Blah, blah, blah. And I guess in the moment of me jumping, I don't know what I did, but my, I had called her and she could hear what just sounded like a, a struggle. So I don't know if it was my phone on the ground or in my pocket, but she come out to look for me and 
found me hanging from a tree and she had screamed. The neighbor had come, cut me down from the tree. She had to perform CPR because I was not breathing on my own and had a very faint pulse and then got medevac to uh, Wake Forest Baptist Hospital here in Winston-Salem. Spent a week and a half in a coma. And when I came out of the coma, I thought that I was in a car accident. So I, I'd seen people next to me that I could tell was a woman or her legs were messed up. I, and I thought that was my wife. So I really asked, I was like, what happened? Like, I thought I was in a car accident. Like, no, you attempted suicide. So I had no idea. And I was like, you guys are full of crap. So when I could finally, I don't remember if I could stand up or what happened, but I they either brought me a mirror or walked me to a mirror. I can't remember. It's all, it was a daze. But then I got up and could see the, the mark of the extension cord around my throat. And I was like, oh, hell. Well, yeah, this is this is what happened. And like, so after that, it still took me a full year. And I was going to the VA at that point afterwards, unwillingly, just because that's what everybody wanted me to do. Because then I still didn't think I needed help. But then after a year of being ashamed of being around people, being ashamed of what I had done, thankfully, I survived. There's no, I have no lingering effects as far as what could be worse, be brain dead, loss of motor skills, anything like that. But it took me a year, about a year to realize that. And then I just stopped feeling bad and said, to hell with what people think of me. Like, I survived this. There's a reason I survived this. There, it's part of a bigger, better plan for myself that I'm not aware of. Like, that's kind of where I was at with that. And where Nick and I tie in a lot of our stuff was racing. So what triggered me was Kurt Bush back in 2014 had a piece of a of a soldier's uh, uniform in his pocket that his family a family had given him because he was doing work with the uh, then the Armed Forces Foundation that does not exist anymore. And that was during the, the rain or snow delay, I believe it was, he was talking about it and was advocating for, you know, veteran suicide awareness and things like that. And it was just a little like, stop feeling bad for yourself. So I just told my buddy, Jason Myers, that races uh, the Wheel and Southern Modified Tour and well, the Smart Tour. And I was like, hey, man, like, let's turn the camera on. He does a weekly video. Let's, it was the, it was the May of that following year. I was like, I'm just going to lay it all out there, but I want you sitting with me so I can get through this. And I just gave my testimony and was, and spoke about PTSD and the things I had went through. And I just wanted to just own what I did and own it and, and use it for something good. And then since 2014, it has been speaking about it has been one of the, probably the greatest, most therapeutic thing I've been through, even including the VA, anything that I could do like that, just speaking about it, getting off my chest was like, it was been an incredible journey since then. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Why, why do you think that sharing your story has been so therapeutic for you? Well, I think for me, just speaking about it and not caring what an opinion or someone else's opinion would be as far as like shameful, because a lot of me, I held all that emotion in and like, I'm a very I deal with stuff by holding it in and that's not always a good thing. And so just being able to speak freely about it and being open about it, I get to meet, you know, I meet someone like Nick who literally has a parallel story as of mine. And to be honest, I, 
to, to have met dozens and do- dozens of other veterans and even my peers I was in the Marines with that were there with me going through the same stuff that we never spoke to each other about this until after I had opened up about it and we were going through the same stuff. So we both, we both, we all had the same stigma and being scared to be a voice for everybody. So it has just been, it's just been therapeutic to where I can just, it's just been a release and to, to know when you, you speak about it and it's someone else, you're opening up someone else and you're passing it along, saving, you know, one person to where I had an instance back in 2015 where I passed a guy in the hallway at the Salisbury VA in North Carolina. Well, he had saw my video on YouTube and his wife had contacted me asking who my therapist was. And I said, well, it's Bruce Eads, the Salisbury VA. I had no idea he was going there and I passed him by chance in the hallway. And he's like, you're that dude with that video on YouTube. I said, yeah. And he said, well, my name's Eric. I said, I knew exactly who he was instantly. So that, that's what you do because like to, for Nick's, Nick and I say, we survived a suicide attempt. We don't, there's not many of us because once that happens, you're, there's no coming back from that. And so we have an opportunity to prevent it or to help somebody. Like we, we literally, we should not be here. And I under, I understood that, you know, months and months later. So that's where it just it just helps me to help somebody else and then just pass it along. It, it will never stop suicide, but we can certainly certainly ease it to where none of us are alone. We're all in this together. And once every veteran can realize that, I mean, it, it could save us all. I don't even know if the life-changing event like I'll we'll say life altering. I didn't want to burden anybody else with what I had going on. I, it's 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 me. I don't you know. I, everybody's like, oh, you can talk, you can do this, you know. Well, you're still trying to process everything that's went on over the last year, two years of your life. And now you know, like as Bobby said, the more you share this story, that process becomes easier. It shows one that we're real individuals. And if you're going through something like, oh man kind of stops and steps them back to hopefully where they think, all right, maybe I can, I can confide in these guys a little bit, you know, and then sometimes too, you know, if you're, you're thinking about it, if you talk it through and you can kind of rationalize it in your own brain, like I've had to use it a couple of times and you know, it's an uncomfortable situation, but you got to ask, you know, are you prepared to kill yourself today? Um, are you, do you want to die? And usually that trigger right there get some kind of rethinking and kind of rewires the brain a little, little bit to, you know, and then you know, I had, I'm not going to share who he was, but I had one of a, a very, very inspirational soldier, a mentor of mine, never in a million years where I thought he was headed down this path. Uh, calls me up one night out of the blue. I start making, you know, phone calls, trying to get the VA down, trying, you know, what do we got to do? Because, you know, this is serious. Then same thing, you know, I get to his house the only difference is, is he's got his wife, daughter, and a handgun there. Um, and we're, we're not really sure how this is about to play out. You know, luckily we got him in. I think he did a, I want to say a 60-day inpatient program. And we talked today because of it. You know, it's that stuff that you don't, you don't put out on social media. You don't, you don't tell people about it, but you know you did good. And you saved that one, that one individual. Everybody's got a backstory. Everybody's got a path. What's traumatic to me might not be traumatic to Bobby and vice versa. 
But if you're registering as a traumatic event um, and it's bothering you, let's let's talk it out. Let's you know, I'm not an advocate for medication. I absolutely hate this stuff. I hate how it makes me feel. I hate, you know, I, I just don't like it. Um, but every there, there's an outlet for every individual. Mine and Bobby's seems to be, you know, race. Um, it, to me, it, it's what occupies the mind, you know, because if not, my, my, my brain will just work 24-7. And, you know, a typical night's sleep for most people's, you know, six to eight hours. Me, I'm, if I get three to four, I feel great because my brain just doesn't want to stop sometimes. Um, and everybody's like, oh, you know, there's a pill for that. Well, man, I don't want to take the pill, right? Because, you know, at the end of the day, I want to be me, you know. So I think there's a there's definitely an outlet for every individual. Um, might be gardening, might be, you know, I absolutely hate mowing grass. You know, I we moved, I had 20-minute mowing. Now it takes me three hours. It's the dumbest thing in the world. I truly feel like that is one of the, I'm going to say recovery, but I would say process is like finding outlets that are, you know, help ease your mind for Nick and I, it, it's definitely racing going to the racetrack. Thankfully, like some, some veterans can't go to the racetrack because of the loud noises and crowds still do overwhelm me sometimes, but generally like it's the racetrack is my escape. And I, I like new metal, heavy metal music. So like music is also my escape with the racing and, and keeping myself busy because the seclusion of like staying at home and not, wanting to people which i still fight every day <laughs> or i don't want to do that but getting up going to the racetrack it's yeah it's like it's just you know saturday between well it's all day saturday but you know 12 16 hours on a saturday is the escape from the work the real world and doing my thing so i think finding whether it be through art music racing some sort of sports or whatever it might be finding finding something to release is is there is therapy in itself you get around just a veteran in, in general that you feel comfortable with you tend to open up more um you know it might be a little too far a little too dark real quick or you know a dark sense of humor but you're opening up you get that dialogue at the end of the day you go home and you feel better about yourself because you got to talk to somebody of an equal or a peer I was struggling, honestly, about coming on here, not telling my story, but I was just, you know, here lately, I became kind of a man, I need a sign. This last week, we met some new people we were with uh, at Knoxville, and you get to talking backstories, you know, one of them lost a, a son to suicide, and another one lost a couple siblings in an automobile accident. It's like, okay, there, you know, you got to go on and do some good. We can't take it back. You got to own it. I mean, there, there's, we got lucky with a do-over but we can't take back our actions what we say right now in 30 seconds we can't take it back it's already out there so you got to try to do better and do better for the next generation coming up because if you know if you look at the uh the history world war ii vietnam korea it all you know if the generation before doesn't take care of the generation right now we're all going to be in one big mess well, I really appreciate you being on and sharing your story today. And I, I I know that it's some of this stuff is really hard to talk about, but I think that the most important thing that I would hope that anyone takes away is that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to talk about it. And talking about it is probably the best medicine for anybody. 
So that's the whole goal with this podcast. And Bobby, I'd just like to hear your thoughts on, it sounds like the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself. I always felt like the just stuffing it down was the the best way to handle it. Again, like I don't want to put my burdens because that's really how I I'd felt on anybody else. So I did, I mean, didn't talk to my closest family members about it or, or even friends. So yes, for my, for me, isolation, I would, it's just feeling alone, even though you're not alone. I, that is, I think to me, that's the biggest downfall for any of us in those moments of, of feeling alone. So yes, isolation was definitely the, the worst thing and what I thought was the right medicine at the time. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Maybe the key is just confiding in somebody, talking about it, having those conversations. And I know that's way easier said than done. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's a trust thing. Like it's like with, with Nick, if if I met Nick just straight up at like at a bar or whatever, whatever, I would, I'd be able to talk to him straight up, but it's, it's harder to find. It's hard to find another veteran like that you can confide in. Cause like, Yes, I could have spoke to my dad. You know, he he did not serve and things like that, but still did not. It's just, it's still, it's a, it was like a weird like trust level, like trying to just. I don't know if he'd under would understand it, but I just didn't want anybody to get burdened with it. And even, even with my wife, I had not even she knew of the things I had went through, but I did not like talk about it to just vent or to let it out or even have a bad day. So I just, the, the isolation is so bad that you, you're long gone before you realize it. And it's, it's too late at that point. Going off of that, was the concern about talking about it, something about just the stigma that comes with it? Did you think that someone was going to look at you differently or just, you know, say something offensive like you know what what's kind of going through your mind when you're thinking oh do I want to say this eh, I don't know if I feel comfortable yeah absolutely like I I'd felt you know even even like Nick had said about the generations prior so like you know me growing I was born in 84 but even then like obviously when I was you know 10 11 12 years old I'd seen what happened to the Vietnam veterans and like how they were labeled and you know if you're even cell shock or PTSD or whatever. Like I felt like it was a bad thing that like nobody would care to help you. So that's where I had felt the same way. I just didn't want to be open about it. Cause I didn't, I didn't want, for one, I didn't know. I didn't know I was sick. Truthfully. Like I did not know through ignorance or yeah, ignorance of not knowing or ignorance of not caring, but I did not even want to be associated with that because I didn't want people to view me different and, or, you know, just beat around the bush. And I even dealt with that post-suicide attempt. Like they would see me at the racetrack and they wouldn't ask me face-to-face how you're doing, like how I was doing. They would go and, you know, ask my wife or one of my friends that know like, well, how's, how's Bobby doing? I'm like, well, damn, you guys can ask me that face-to-face. Like, and then that was, but that was also part of me after the fact, realizing that I do have to be really an open book with it and own it and not not worry about anybody else's opinion or or being even being afraid. So, yes, it was it, it was the fear of being labeled and kind of like being, you know, a castaway or like just getting pushed off to the side. There is a little bit of self self-image 
Um, and again, it's not that I was ever ashamed of what I did. You know, I did it. There's a reason there. There was, there was, I was down that rabbit hole and I, I couldn't find a light. Um, and to me, the light was this, this is how it ended the pain because there's not a handbook that anybody can give out on life, you know, or, Hey, how do you deal with this? You know, you know, as, as Bobby alluded, you know, when you lose somebody in combat, your, your brain takes things a different direction. You know, a part of me was just so grateful that I was still alive. And then a bigger part of me is so destroyed that I'm still alive. You know, so you got to balance it out. There, There is no, and everybody's different. You know, myself, again, it was everybody left, you know, hell, I come back home and all of a sudden everybody's gone. We scatter and you get back home and your family, you know, everybody knew something's wrong. I mean, if you spend any time with a loved one, you can tell they're not the same individual that came home when they left. And some of that's through just natural progression of growing. And some of it's through the events that we lived through. You know, when you're a 19, 20, 21 year old kid going away to war, they don't tell you things, right? Like you got an idea what it is and then, oh shit, it really starts happening. Your idea wasn't anywhere close to what's going on. Um, and I know for myself and, and many others, we would look at pictures at night uh, to kind of desensitize us a little bit to where we were at. Looking back at it now, that was a horrible idea. But it's what we did, so we didn't really... I don't know if it's not feel human or, or maybe not feel the the burden of of life, but yeah, it's we can't take none of it back. We can only move on from here. It is what it is. Um, I wish I could say tomorrow we'd wake up and no, there'll be no no new deaths. But everywhere in America right now, there's a veteran struggling. That all they got to do is reach out for some help, and it's not going to be the perfect help, but we can find the right path for the right individuals. I mean, it's not, there, there's no magic cure for this. Unfortunately, I wish there was, I wish there was, you know, a drink you could drink and it just go away, but it, it's not, it, it takes individuals like Bobby, individuals like myself, you, you know, who are willing to, to, you know, tell stories and say, Hey, look, you're not alone. And that's probably the biggest thing I hope, Every listener gets from this, whether they're a family member, a son, daughter, you know, or the member themselves, you're not alone. We've all been through it. Everybody's experience is different, but at the end of the day, we've all been through it. And, you know, again, reach out. You know, if you've got one person you can confide in, I'm just like Bobby. You know, I didn't want to burden my family with what I thought was my mess. You know, I think for them, Personally, I mean, I moved back home after I got out because I couldn't function, you know, three, four days not sleeping because I was just afraid to shut my eyes. You know, I didn't want to relive everything that was going on, you know, and my, and, you know, my theory was if I stayed awake, you know, the nightmares aren't there. So I think, you know, looking here now, what are we in 2023, you know, it's been a long time since my last deployment. There's certain things that I know are triggers. Um, you got to work through them. But again, at the end of the day, if I can help one individual, that's one more than what was going to be. I love that you said you are not alone. 
I hope that any of our listeners will remember that you are not alone. Nick and Bobby, thank you so much for being on today. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope for the Warriors podcast. We will have several resources available in the show notes of this episode, plus on the Hope for the Warriors social media channels. I also encourage you to take the power of the peers pledge this month. If you go to hopeforthewarriors.org, you can find more information. But basically, we want you to reach out to three to five individuals in your social group just check on their well-being. Take the time to hear what they have to say, listen to their tone, and offer to check in again in the future. Since this is such an important month, we'll have another episode coming your way within the next few weeks. We hosted an amazing panel during the Celebrity Invitational last month, and we want you to hear it. So make sure you follow the podcast for updates on when that episode will be released. Hope's Director of Clinical Support and Emotional Wellness, Brianne Sampson, was the host of that panel, and I asked her what I should let our listeners know in this episode, and she said help is at your fingertips and suggested something as simple as downloading the Columbia Protocol app. It's a three to six question long survey to help distinguish between different levels of suicide risk. You can use this on yourself, use it on others, and it could save a life. Thank you for tuning in, and remember, a little kindness goes a long way. Hope, it's what our military community needs today.